Hello, everyone, and welcome to Surveillance Report number 33, covering the privacy and security news from the past week. Today, I am your host, Nate Bartram, along with Henry, and we will be bringing you this week's news, and it is so good to be back this week. All right, today's episode, real quick, is brought to you by our supporters, as always, who are helping us spread our message of privacy and security to the masses. So we just want to remind you that if you are able to, we accept donations on Patreon, Coffee, Monero, things of that nature. And of course, there are many free ways of supporting us as well, including contributing to the open source projects, sharing the website, and so forth. So thank you for helping us keep the content content accessible. Let's go ahead and start right off with data breaches. And our first data breach this week is Flagstar Bank, who had customer data breached through the Excelion hack. And once again, this is something I covered a couple weeks ago, and uh, so far I'm right in that we're just seeing more and more of them roll out. But uh, for those who don't know, Excelion was, is a third-party file transfer service that apparently a lot of companies have used to uh, securely, quote-unquote, share files and they got hacked. And since a lot of companies were using that third-party service, it's just kind of snowballed and keeps going. And the latest victim is, or the least the latest one to come forward, is Flagstar Bank, who is a bank based in Michigan. They suffered a breach that, quote, did not impact operations. They haven't really released any details as far as what was accessed or how many customers were impact, but impacted. But, uh, yeah. And then we're going to migrate over to one with lots of big companies involved, like Tesla, jails, and hospitals. Well, jails and hospitals aren't companies. Well, you could say jails are companies, but I don't know about <laughs> hospitals. Um, pretty much a group of hackers were able to breach thousands of security cameras. This is a pretty massive deal. Um, they gained access to live feeds of about 150,000 different security cameras from the startup called Verkata, which is probably a company you never heard of because it's something that's probably internally used by these companies. Uh, I think the main takeaway for this article is going to involve that, you know, all these companies have so many different pieces of software, and it's a very complex behind-the-scenes system that's going into these companies. And it's not terribly difficult to find one weakness. Again, you're only as strong as your weakest link, so that's probably what really hits some of these companies here. Speaking of companies, that's all we got for data breaches this week. So we'll go ahead and pivot into companies, and we're going to start off with the big story this week, which is that... Microsoft Exchange is just completely falling apart right now. So for those who are not familiar, uh, Microsoft has a server software called Exchange. Super, super popular. Basically, they found four really, really big vulnerabilities. They issued patches. And unfortunately, we all know how updates go. Some people haven't updated or haven't updated in time or maybe just aren't even aware that there's an update out. But unfortunately, the criminals are aware, and they have wasted absolutely no time in abusing the vulnerabilities. And just like the Excelian thing we were talking about a minute ago, this is just snowballed. And in the past week, we've seen dozens of companies come forward and say that they've been hit by these vulnerabilities. The federal government is urging people to update. Microsoft is urging people to update. Yep, and then moving on to our next company uh, is going to be McAfee. Uh, you probably know McAfee because of their antivirus software. Um, pretty much, McAfee, ha many people didn't know this, including myself, they had more of an enterprise level to the company. So just to quote the headline here, uh, McAfee sells its enterprise business to a private equity group as it focuses on consumer security. So McAfee is pretty much dropping a part of their enterprise uh, part of their enterprise to focus more on the consumer side of things. Uh, I actually, when I was reading this article, I didn't realize that they split from Intel in early 2017. I didn't even know that was a thing, so I just thought that was kind of a cool... 
honestly, that was before I even got into cybersecurity. I never even knew they were part of Intel. <laughs> yeah, I never heard of that but, before. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I think that's a. I mean, I, I'm not a huge fan of McAfee or anything, but I think that is pretty cool that they're gonna focus their attention like that. So yeah, and I mean, pretty neat. I, I'm not a fan of any really any consumer antivirus i'd always tell people if you can use windows defender um yeah, same and of, of all the antiviruses like my least favorite are probably mcafee and Symantec norton um i hate norton i hate norton too i hate norton i hate norton i hate <laughs> mcafee um I'm, I'm like okay with a uh, bit defender and kaspersky but that's about it like <laughs> i tried bit defender i had a pretty good experience but that was before i knew that windows defender was just fine exactly like most people listening if you're technical enough i'm not not to assume everyone is technical listening to this but if you're technical enough to understand what we're talking about you're technical enough to just use windows defender um that's probably where i would group most people pivoting to our next company we have google who is maybe suffering some consequences that they don't really care about um, pretty much there was a lawsuit that was alleged against Google involving privacy practices and user data, and they tried to, uh, they, so they tried to dismiss this lawsuit and they failed. So now they do have to face this $5 billion lawsuit over tracking private internet use. And that's kind of the only update. I guess we'll keep eyes and see where that goes in the future, but that's it for now. Definitely. Uh, listeners should note, in case they're not familiar with this story, that the lawsuit specifically pertains to incognito mode. And I know it's a kind of a, an open secret these days, but you know, incognito mode is uh, not actually private. So our next story is about T-Mobile, who is unfortunately taking a step in the wrong direction. As of April 26, 2021, T-Mobile customers who do not opt out of data sharing will have their data shared with advertisers for more relevant ads. So up until now, T-Mobile has been very, uh, you have to opt in, which is great, which is the way it should be. But apparently they say, they claim that users have expressed through like surveys or whatever, users have said they would prefer more relevant ads. So now they're going to make it opt out by default. Yeah, I mean, I'd, I wouldn't be surprised if users do think that they want more relevant ads, but, you know, in my experience, that's also because they don't know what goes into that. So Our next story involves Australia. The Western Australia Auditor General has audited four different state IT applications and found that all four of them had control weaknesses. So I thought about maybe sticking this under the, the politics section, but I thought it made more sense under companies because he, the Auditor General, was looking at um, third-party applications that are used by the Australian government. At any rate, he found that all four of them that he picked, he or she, I, I don't actually know who it is, all four of them had control weaknesses, which is basically their policies and their procedures. So, for example, if you're supposed to have access to this system and not that system, and you have access to both because they haven't bothered to restrict your access, so... He found, or they found, 75 weaknesses. Nine of them were severe, 57 were moderate, and nine were minor. So I guess the lesson here is uh, don't trust other people with your data, unfortunately, because they don't seem to take it very seriously. And last but not least under businesses, we have Amazon. About a year ago, Amazon began to roll out what they call Amazon One. Uh, some of you may have heard of this. It's basically palm print-based payment and 
They've already got it available in some stores in Seattle. Well, they're going to be expanding it, unfortunately. And to quote the article, palm scanning technology has been around for a few years, and it's pretty secure as biometric security methods go, though there are concerns about how Amazon might use the data gathered as part of the system. So if you, for whatever reason, use an Amazon store in the area, just make sure to steer clear of this, because it's technically probably secure, but it's not very private, and knowing Amazon, they're not going to hesitate to use that data. So this next one, I want to start this next story. So the headline, if you go read it on like the Hacker News or wherever you find this news article, it says new browser attack allows tracking users online with JavaScript disabled. And they do include some screenshots and they kind of give a broad overview of the attack. I recommend every article that we find, a lot of these come from RSS feeds and whatnot, and a lot of them link the actual article. In this case, it links the actual study. So... A lot of people who are watching, I actually recommend clicking the study. And if you're watching the video, I have the study pulled up here and I just read through it. Just reading the abstract of the study is just a huge step forward in in gaining some knowledge behind how some of these things work. And you're probably going to, it's just a fun thing to get into, Um, especially if you're someone who's more technical and you want to learn more about this stuff. I would really read through these studies because they're very thorough and you'll learn a lot from them. Um, So just going through this abstract, pretty much this attack is a side channel attack. A side channel attack is pretty much when someone doesn't directly exploit something, but they're able to get the same information through ulterior uh, directions, like a side channel. Um, A good example of this is someone doesn't hack your phone, but they're able to use the lamp in your room as a microphone to still get your audio when you're talking to people in your room. So it's not actually, it's a side channel attack. You're not actually uh, exploiting any real device here. Um, And these are very common because really you can use anything as a side channel attack. In this case, this is more of an actual like real world applicable side channel attack where people who typically who are in the privacy world who care about privacy, they disable JavaScript inside of their browser. Um, JavaScript is seen as something that's very easy to abuse. And we generally recommend if a site is especially not trusted by yourself, you should disable JavaScript. This side channel attack uses HTML and CSS, which is HTML would be the structure of the website, CSS is the design of the website, which aren't traditionally malicious. It does use these as a way to poison the cache of your browser to still be able to um, do some basic fingerprinting on the websites that you come across. And this works on Intel, AMD, the Samsung Exynos processor, as well as the Apple's new M1 architectures. Um, so yeah, it's, it's a pretty, again, this is likely a very isolated research article. This isn't something that you're likely going to see in the real world, but they're always fun. It's research for a reason. All right, and that ties pretty nicely into our next section, which is research. And we're going to start by talking about DARPA. For those who don't know, DARPA is the Defense Advanced Research Projects Agency. They are basically the unregulated mad scientists of the U.S. Department of Defense. Um, I don't really know what their purpose is other than to get insane amounts of money and go, hey, what happens if we do or build this? And sometimes they actually come up with really cool stuff like the Internet. The internet was originally a DARPA thing, I believe. I believe it was originally called DARPAnet or something like that. Anyways, DARPA is teaming up with Intel to build what is being called the Holy Grail of Encryption. It is fully homomorphic encryption, and I'm just going to go ahead and quote the article because I think they sum it up really well. Fully homomorphic encryption has been described as the Holy Grail of encryption because it allows encrypted data to be used without ever having to decrypt it. FHE isn't fantasy. It already exists and is usable, but it is incredibly impractical. FHE adoption in the industry has been slow because processing data using FHE methods on cryptograms is data intensive and incurs a huge performance tax 
even for simple operations. So basically, it's a way to even more safely access encrypted data and make changes and, and do work without the risk of, or at least lessening the risk of when it's in a decrypted state and it's more susceptible to attack. So, of course, that would be an incredibly amazing advancement, which, again, exists right now. It's just not really practical, and DARPA and Intel are hoping to make that more practical. And Microsoft is also involved. They are going to be contributing cloud infrastructure and some technical ex technical expertise, probably some specialists and stuff like that. So I, I know this is kind of speculative, but I really like this story because I, I think this is one of those things that we're all going to benefit from, assuming they can actually produce anything out of it. And I think that's really, really cool. Our next research article talks about mental health and, and kind of health in general. So pretty much an investigation done by the Consumer Reports this week studied seven apps specifically positioned as mental health apps and found that they were collecting wide amounts of data and tracking individual users. Nothing that we should probably be surprised about, but you should know this is pretty bad. One thing to keep in mind here is that these should go under HIPAA, which is the federal health data law, which is actually something... It's one of the few areas I feel like we actually have a good amount of regulation in the privacy world. HIPAA is not perfect. It's definitely not perfect, but at least we have something established on a federal level in regards to privacy, and that's HIPAA. Um, and it doesn't really apply to the information collected by these apps. So they have a giant exclusion here, um, which is kind of unfortunate because this actually involves people's health. It involves their personal data. It involves very sensitive information at times. Um, and this is something that's only becoming a larger problem over time. So... All right, our next story, OpenAI's state-of-the-art machine vision AI is fooled by handwritten notes. So this is actually really funny. The example they use uh, for audio listeners, in case you can't see, the example they use on the website is they've got a picture of an apple, and then in the next frame, they've got a picture of an apple with a piece of paper on it that says iPod. And that was enough to fool the AI into thinking that this apple was an iPod. And they they actually show the percentage hits and everything right next to it. So, yeah, the uh, researchers are calling this a typographic attack. And it's pretty amazing that all you have to do is write the word. And basically the, uh, the handwriting analysis part of the AI will override the visual recognition part. And, again, go, oh, that's an iPod, not an Apple. So this is just a reminder that AI, facial recognition, machine learning, they're not really – ready, in my opinion, to be implemented in any real way. And uh, I know I said that on the first episode, and I kind of caught some flack for it. There there may be times in the future, maybe, where we can somewhat hand over some, some stuff to AI. I certainly don't think that it should be completely handed over without any oversight, that's for sure. But, uh, you know, maybe someday some some AIs will be ready to help out in some parts of life. But right now, I mean... If you can make an AI think that an Apple is an iPod, then that to me is just proof that they are not ready for anything meaningful other than research, novelness, stuff like that. And our final research article is a very easy one. Pretty much some researchers found that 26% of companies they tested were still vulnerable to WannaCry and Heartbleed, which are very serious issues that date back to 2013. So don't rely on companies to keep you safe. Assume every company you, you share your data with is going to expose it in some way, shape, or form at some point in time, which is why I recommend always using alias information when you can. Agreed. And I think we're actually going to talk about that later on, too. Yay. All right. Let's uh, go ahead and move into politics. We'll start here in the U.S. And the big story of the week is that Virginia has signed – they say it's a comprehensive data privacy law. That's a slightly misleading headline. So – 
But it is a pretty simple headline. The U.S. state of Virginia has signed into law a Consumer Data Protection Act. It's got some good sides and it's got some bad sides. So on the good sides, Virginia now has a data privacy law. They didn't have one before, so now they got something. It's not very good, but it's there. Basically what it does is it allows consumers to opt out of having their data used for targeted advertising, and it gives them the right to know the status of their data. Basically, are is this company currently using my data for targeted advertising? The bad is that this is only applicable to data advertising. They cannot, you know, sell, tell companies to stop collecting my data or to use to not use it for other purposes. And most importantly, at, at least in some opinions, individuals cannot sue the companies directly. They have to go through the state attorney general's office. And anyone who's ever dealt with bureaucracy knows that that is a very slow and painful process. So this is. Like I said, the good news is there's a data privacy law. There wasn't one before, but it definitely needs some tightening up, and hopefully hopefully that will be the next step. And our next U.S. article is about Pittsburgh, who has signed a four-year deal with Google Cloud. And this is a very straightforward, I mean, pretty much the headline says it. They signed a deal, and within the next four years, Google is planning to migrate its legacy IT infrastructure of the city to the cloud. That's pretty much it. Um, it's just worth mentioning here that Google uh, does operate things infrastructure related behind the scenes you would never know about on a local state and federal level so even if you are de-googled <laughs> you might not be truly de-googled that's that's kind of the main takeaway here and clearview ai so this is a big name uh, we've probably talked about this in probably at least half of the surveillance reports that's that's probably not an exaggeration either um clearview ai is a company that uh, gathers pretty much every image you've ever put on the internet right? You've posted on social media, anything like that. That's taken by Clearview AI. It's put inside a database and that database is searchable by law enforcement. So a lot of times the main concern here is they combine things like security cameras on the road with this data set. So they can pretty much see who's doing what and all of this kind of information. It's pretty spooky stuff. People give China a lot of crap because they have things like this and we have it too in some regards. So it's creepy stuff. And in California, at least there is some kickback and so there's a lawsuit going on in California, which says that this violates uh, the California Privacy Act uh, because it engages in the widespread collection of California residents' images and biometric information without notice or consent, which is exactly accurate. So um, it's nice to see this kind of go somewhere. And I doubt anything will really happen to this company. And if that something does happen to them, that's not going to stop. You know, it's like a Hydra. There's going to be another company that's going to take over for them. What needs to happen, in my opinion is regulation on the federal slash state level for every state to stop these things from happening without any kind of regulation. Let's move on to international news, and we're going to start in the UK, where the UK is set to depart from the GDPR. So basically, as part of the Brexit deal, the UK now has the ability to create their own privacy laws. And unfortunately, they have already stated their intention to relax those laws. They're going to go easier on businesses. Um, the last couple of politicians who've been in charge of that have basically said that a lot of companies are afraid to make full use of data because they're afraid of violating the law or they don't understand how it works, blah, blah, blah. Um, personally, I think this is just some sob story. I don't think this matters. But whatever. They're trying to boost their economy and they want to – basically, they still probably want to have a privacy law, but they're definitely going to water it down a lot, which is unfortunate for UK citizens. Up next, we're going to move on to Dubai. So Dubai is allowing customers at their airports to use a contact-free iris scan to go through security at airports. Um, this is tied to the country's, quote, extensive facial recognition database. 
And I think there's two big things that I think are good takeaways for this story. One, uh, do note that they're using the contact free as a selling point to this technology. So just kind of, uh, I'm not going to comment too much on what I think about it, but just note that uh, here's another situation where COVID-19 is being used to push some of these technologies, uh, at least a, just a better justification for it. And the second thing, I did want to note, and I actually have a question for Nate about this, but we have similar things here in the U.S. as well, though it's normally handled by individual companies. So I know we have something called Clear. Uh, that's at like San Francisco's airport and things like that. And you can pretty much bypass the entire line. If you sign up for them, they'll get you set up in five, ten minutes, and then all you have to do is just scan. It's either your thumb or your eyes, and, and that's it. You're done. So I did want to ask you, Nate, um, do you think it's better to have a situation here like Dubai where everything's integrated on a government level or do you think it's better to just let some random company take this information and handle it in a centralized way? Is there a neither option? <laughs> yeah. Like, None of the there, above? There is not a neither option. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. That's uh, that's a tough one. I really don't know, man. I don't trust either. I really don't know. That's a good question. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be thinking about that. I really don't know. And I think people at home should think about that too because, yeah. again, we don't I, – I think a lot of things in the U.S. are kind of normalized at this point to, like, to the point like we're even covering the story. Like, wow, Dubai is implementing this really invasive technology, and we forget that it's happening here in the States as well, though normally on a company versus a government level. So it's just important to think about, hey, who's actually controlling this data? Who's going to be holding control? And what's going to happen with your data, and how is that going to change between a government-wide – measure versus a company-wide measure just something to think about i don't think there's a right answer here but. all right and our last political story we're going to bangladesh who has bought phone hacking tools from israel so some of our more enthusiastic privacy listeners are probably familiar with the name celebrate they are a company a forensic technology company that basically helps governments hack phones so you know whenever there's a like here in the U.S., it's happened a couple times. There's been a mass shooter, and they use an iPhone, and the government tells Apple, unlock this phone, and Apple says no. And so the government will go to Celebrite, and Celebrite will sell them the tools to help unlock it. Well, Bangladesh has bought a lot of tools from Celebrite, and it turns out this is actually one of Israel's best exports, is uh, selling forensic technology to other countries. And this is concerning because Bangladesh is currently considered – not the best. Like on paper, they're they're a democracy and they've got representation and votes and stuff like that. But in reality, they're pretty authoritarian and they're a little bit more on the repressive side. They're uh, really going after journalists and stuff like that. So people are really concerned that they're going to be using this technology for human rights abuses and to target free speech and stuff like that. And uh, I just have to point out the irony. Celebrate, as I mentioned, is an Israeli company. And Bangladesh currently refuses to acknowledge Israel as a sovereign country and actually has, like, cut off all trade and stuff like that. So I, I guess all bets are off when it comes to illegal surveillance. Let's move into our next section, which is FOSS, free and open source software. And we're going to start off with a pretty big story. This is kind of not really new, but uh, understandably, the longer this goes on, the more concerning it becomes. And this week I saw a lot of discussion about it taking place online. And the story is that Signal appears to have abandoned their server source code. So if you go, you can verify this yourself. If you go to Signal's GitHub, you will see that their server source code has not been updated since April of 2020. 
Now, the other apps have been updated, and I have seen other people online who know how to read these codes. They have claimed that the APIs of those apps are indicating a more recent server version. So basically, the server is being updated, but they're not publicly posting that updated code. So this is really a, a lot to get into. Um, I wrote a blog post about this that when it is uh, posted, I'll go ahead and send you the link if you wouldn't mind adding it to the show notes. Basically, I'd, I'm certainly not going to like defend Signal for this. I, I don't think there's an excuse for them doing that. But at the same time, we can still see the apps. The apps are still end-to-end encrypted. And I understand that Signal is extremely easy to use for a lot of people. It's become very popular, especially in, in, in lieu of WhatsApp and things like that. Short version, I think that Signal is still probably safe to use, but this is definitely something that is extremely troubling and I think we should keep an eye on. Our next article comes from Bitwarden, which you probably know, all of you listening, probably is one of the most popular password managers you've heard about. Side note, delete LastPass if you haven't already. If you want an easy alternative, just switch to <laughs> Bitwarden. Um, but they've introduced something called Bitwarden Send, which is a way to pretty much send files and share information with people around you. This is brand new. Nate tried testing it out. I don't believe he got anywhere with it. I have not tried testing it out, so I don't think there's many comments from either of us at this point in regards to how well it works or anything like that. But if you're already in Bitwarden, you might as well try it out. Did you Were you able to find information on how much storage you get for free? I wasn't, and... Um... Yeah, like you said, I didn't really use it. Like, I just kind of looked at it, and I noticed that uh, when it was, like, a text file I was able to send, like, it gave me a whole bunch of options. But then when I switched over to attachment, it was like, you need a premium account, which, oh, so you know, I, I, I really should do because they're not that expensive. All right, and our next story is a pretty, pretty quick story. Uh, Linus Torvalds has warned everybody not to use the new Linux 5.12 Release Candidate 1 kernel. So Linus Torvalds, if you don't know the name, he is the founding developer of Linux or one of the founding developers. Uh, he's kind of the most well-known face of Linux. Um, I guess he's the closest thing you would get to a Linux version of Bill Gates or Steve Jobs. But anyways, um, yeah, he's uh, he's warning everybody not to use Linux 5.12. Long story short, there was a bug that caused data to randomly overwrite and I mean like literally randomly. So all of a sudden something that's very vital to your computer booting up and functioning could be overwritten with short-term memory, which is, of course, a huge, huge problem. So he, as soon as it was found, he like put out the red flag, like nobody use this, don't download it. Um, fortunately, that shouldn't affect most people, I think, because uh, if I'm understanding this right, it's, again, it's release candidate one. And a release candidate typically means that something is still in the testing phase. And they'll usually tell you up front, don't use this unless, you know, you're testing it and you expect it to crash a lot. So, again, it shouldn't affect most users, but still, it's a good reminder to keep backups because, man, I'd be super upset if my computer didn't boot up one day and I didn't have backups. And our final FOSS story for the week involves 7-Zip, which, for those of you who don't know, is an archiving application. So if you have... If you have a folder full of files, you can just zip them up, and uh, 7-Zip's a software to do that. It's traditionally been uh, on something that's mostly used on Windows. I don't think they have a Mac version, if I'm not mistaken. Um, I could be wrong there. 
But um, I think they do, but I could also be wrong. Yeah, I, I don't know. But long story short, they now have official Linux support. So now you can actually download 7-Zip and use it on Linux, which is pretty cool. Um, it looks like it's only a CLI so far from what I'm understanding here. But yeah. And finally, we come to our Misfits section. And our first story is kind of the big story of this section. Sky ECC is denying that police have cracked their encrypted messaging platform. So for those not familiar, Sky ECC is one of those kind of like EncroChat, like they'll sell you the device and they have their own ecosystem and they promise you perfect encryption, which should be your first red flag. Uh, about a week ago, I think, European police claimed that they had cracked Sky ECC's encryption and thus arrested, I believe it was thousands of criminals all over Europe. It may have been less than that, but uh, a lot of people, a ton of people got arrested. And, of course, Sky is denying that their encryption has been cracked. They say it's totally unrelated, although, again, European police have arrested a lot of people who were using Sky, so... At, at very least, they got something. So, uh, yeah, the the moral is, I would say, number one, don't uh, don't trust people that promise perfect encryption because anything is hackable. And number two, just be careful. Be careful who you're using and be careful, you know, if it's digital, just assume that it's going to get leaked. That's always what I say. Yeah, and, and people, uh, there are no one-stop shops for privacy and security. I cannot stress this enough. If anyone promises perfect privacy and security out of the box for just an upfront payment don't ask people because it's likely not a valid tool. Um, we, we've had a few uh, clients that have gone through consulting, all three of which sent me this one just really sketchy looking website. And it was exactly like these. Like it's, you buy this phone, it comes with pre-installed apps and you can, you're now anonymous. Like you're now private just because you have this phone. Oh, Lord. And it's like, no, like guys, and you know what the funniest part? It's just an iPhone. Like, iPhones are so restricted and locked down. Like, there's so little you can actually change about an iPhone. Yeah. <laughs> so, that's one of the few things I hate about the iPhone. Yeah. And, and like, they're, they're trying to make it sound like they say, like, this phone has full encryption. It's like, yeah, well, every iPhone has full encryption. <laughs> like, this isn't right. this isn't anything unique. All they were doing is pretty much pre-installing their own suite of applications and selling this for an insane markup. I'm talking thousands of dollars for this phone and a subscription we're service. We're in the wrong line of work. Yeah. Um, it's... <laughs> It's it's ridiculous. So guys, if you see any tools like that, they're almost all entirely just giant red flags. Okay, um, yeah. you're allowed to ask, especially in consulting. It's fine if you ask me that, that stuff, but it would be awesome if people just knew it was bad. So if you're watching this and you're thinking about joining consulting, please know that those are probably bad. You can still ask, but I'm gonna be like, no, don't, no, that's bad. <laughs> um, that's like a squirt of water in your face, bad. <laughs> And and uh, just to migrate over a little bit, we're still kind of talking about phones here. Um, some malicious apps on the Google Play Store were banking Trojans. Um, this is pretty common. I think one was the, even a, a few were actually VPNs. Moral of the story, just avoid free sketchy applications. I know it's easier said than done, but I think the more that you actually start downloading apps and get familiar with this stuff, the easier it becomes to just tell like, hey, they're offering a free VPN with no business model. Maybe I shouldn't touch this. Um and some of these are a little bit less easy to find, like QR barcode scanner, Beat Player. Like some of these might just seem like normal apps that you would download. Um, there's not really a great way to prevent this. Just try to stick with open source when you can. If you're downloading something, um, yeah, there's not a great prevention to this, is there? <laughs> I always tell people just be careful what you download. First of all, ask yourself if you really need it. 
because most of the time you don't. It's just something to kill time or something fun. And if you decide that you do need it, make sure you're getting it from the right source. You know, you're not using like sideloading apps or, um, I mean, not that I'm against sideloading or, or F droid, but you know, make sure it's the actual app and it's not somebody pretending to be them. And, uh, yeah, just really look into it and vet it and make sure you're getting the real deal. Exactly. And, um, kind of on a similar note here, there was a security vulnerability found in a call recorder application, which exposed users conversations. And I believe this was something that impacted iPhones. Um, those recordings were all stored in the cloud on Amazon web services. So this is not really something that users could have prevented on a local level. Uh, but just another FYI, like when you download an application, you're trusting that application to handle your personal information and your data. So just think about that next time you just start downloading applications. Every single app has the capability of damaging your your threat model in some way, shape, or form. Yeah, that's one of the big problems with phones is that you can't really, you don't have as much control over them. So it's hard to get an app and say, I just wanted to do this one thing and be totally isolated from everything else and... Like you said, every app you download, you're handy. <laughs> ah, that's the first time he's messed up one of those. Um, like you were saying, every app you you download, you're giving it a lot of control potentially and a lot of access to your data. So you got to be careful. And on that note, 2020 was a record-breaking year in U.S. school hacks. So I'm not really going to expand on that. It's not a, a it's pretty self-explanatory. It's just I think it's worth noting that. You know, 2020 was a record-breaking year, also in data breaches, I think, if I remember correctly. And security matters more than ever these days. And this is something really worth taking seriously. Do you want me to uh, do the last one as well? or Okay. And we'll go ahead and finish up with an article from MIT and their technology review about how to poison the data that big tech uses to surveil you. So as privacy enthusiasts... We typically try to keep data from being collected in the first place, and that's amazing, but sometimes it is unavoidable. And in those situations, we don't always think about the fact that sometimes, not always, sometimes you can poison that data. You can intentionally feed them false information, false names, false addresses, false phone numbers. So if that's something you've never thought about before, I mean, that could be an entire podcast episode all by itself uh, if you're not familiar with it. Uh, the Privacy, Security, and OSINT show by Michael Basil. He's done a couple episodes about disinformation. Go check those out. But uh, if if you're not familiar with it, this art- article is also a great place to start in getting familiar with that idea. So. Yeah, and if you want a quick starting point, kind of the go-to services that we can recommend, you, know, you have things like Simple Login, Anon Addy, uh, Privacy.com, uh, MySudo, these all are services that can give you uh, disposable phone numbers, disposable emails, dis- disposable uh, bank cards. So just a great starting point. It's actually where I tell a lot of people to start in real life because that's dealing with more of a real world issue of like, I don't want these, I don't want these 12 sites to have access to my phone number. That's a very real world issue, whereas a lot of people like to get nitty gritty over, hey, is this open source? Is this going to be tracking my, my telemetry data collection? Which, yes, is also a concern. But if we're talking real-world concerns that most people care about, I think this is more of the real stuff here. Like This is really the gut of the privacy battle, in my opinion. Because Well, hey, for what it's worth, uh, a non-Addy and simple login are both open source. And free. Like, yeah. They both have very generous free plans. They do. Um, They're great. Pri- I use both of them. Privacy.com as well. There's honestly no reason not to use these services unless you, know, you don't trust the service itself, um, which I personally don't have a reason to tell you not to at, at this point in time. 
as we were recording this, my subscription to my pseudo refreshed. So nice, nice. Yeah, I've I've been using uh, privacy.com and my pseudo for a couple years now, and I have nothing but good things to say about them. Yeah. Hey, normally I don't address like individuals because we receive a lot of criticism because there's a ton of different information. But someone actually did send some criticism saying like, hey, avoid my pseudo. My pseudo is, is closed source. And it's like you're missing the whole point of the tool, guys. It's like that or whoever you are, you're missing the whole point of the tool. We understand it's not open source. If there was an open source alternative to my pseudo, we would tell people to use it. However, no one has given me an open source alternative to my pseudo. The purpose of this tool is to stop the hundreds, if dozens at minimum, if not hundreds of sites that people access on a day-to-day basis asking for a phone number, right? That is an immensely powerful thing that people have access to. And even if my pseudo is tracking every single text, every single phone number, then it's still a valuable tool because it still protects users from those hundreds of sites. And at least my pseudo is centralizing that to in some way, shape, or form. So just be aware of that. You still have to trust my pseudo here, but it's still giving you an extremely powerful thing. Yeah, that's I've I've also had similar discussions where, like you said, it's it's what the tool is for. My pseudo is not meant to be, at least in my opinion, it's not meant to be an encrypted messenger. It's not meant to be PGP email. It's supposed to be like, here's a phone number so that I don't have to use my SIM card number for online dating, online shopping, uh, work. Like I have a whole phone number that I use just for like work and job hunting and stuff like that and. Yeah, it's just it's supposed to give you that compartmentalization and that breaking things up and being more in control of who has what about you. So yeah, I agree. It's certainly not the ideal solution, but exactly, it's, it's the right tool for the right job we've got right it's now. It's the so. best we've got. And hey, Maxudo does not have an affiliate plan. They don't have sponsorships. We are, we have no reason to defend Maxudo here. If if it was my perfect world, there would be an open source alternative, but there's just nothing. <laughs> like that that's the sad reality. Um, okay, if somebody out there is a developer, feel free to make one. I'll happily promote it. Yeah. For money. <laughs> like you said. No. <laughs> no, for free. Like you said, if, if there was a better solution, I, I would certainly be telling people about it. So. Definitely. That's all we got this week. Thanks again for watching. Uh, <laughs> I don't know what else to say. Um, <laughs> uh, I want to thank Nate for coming on this week. I want to thank myself for making it this week. We could both co-host. I want to thank you for listening, especially this week. Um, we've been getting more and more viewers. I think we hit an all-time high amount of viewers slash listeners um, last week. Actually, I should specify listeners. We had the most amount of listeners our podcast last week ever. So that's really awesome. So that's because you guys are sharing this and really getting it to the people you know. And again, we're able to offer this for free to you because we have things like our Patreon and we have different... different ways for you to give back to us so check out our support page down below and then nate um you have your own stuff as well that you want tell people to to get your stuff (laughs) (laughs) yes if you're uh also same vein if you're looking to learn more about privacy i run the new oil.xyz i got a daily news feed weekly blogs weekly podcast of course weekly cat messing up the podcast today he misses me because i've been out of town um yeah and uh you can find me there if you have any more questions, concerns, looking for more commentary on my pseudo or whatever. So, And um, that's it. See you guys next week, and peace out. <laughs>